Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at portablechurch.com. Hey, Church Planner, welcome to the Church Planter Hardcore Church Planting Podcast. Get my own title right. Um, hey guys, I am on here today with a guest who wrote a book, and I have to confess that the reason that I'm doing this interview is because my wife uh, saw this title. I showed it to her, and she said, "You have to interview that guy." So my guest today is Doctor Andrew Root. He is a professor at Luther Seminary and the author of a book entitled The Grace of Dogs, A Boy, a Black Lab, and a Father's Search for the Canine Soul. So uh, welcome on to the show. Should I call you Dr. Root or should I call you Andrew? Yeah, you can even call me Andy. So uh, that'd Andy, be great. Way, yeah, We're going way formal. We're, <laughs> hey, yeah, since we're, uh, this is a book about dogs, should we just go with pet names or does that make it weird? <laughs> it may make it a little weird, but if you want to make up pet names for ourselves, I'm uh, I'm open to that. Yeah, yeah, and and so what? What's really amazing about this is my my wife literally glued herself to a dog's purpose and the sequel. And uh, Marley and Me is seriously one of the best books I've ever read. Um, and I will I will admit that I read the book Marley and Me, and I even cried during the film. The film was well done, and uh, so it is very cool to have you on here. Um, you're a different sort of guest to what we normally have, but there's two things that we all know. Number one, church planning is the coolest thing you can ever do. And number two, everybody should like dogs. And if they don't, there's something wrong with them. Those two are universal established facts. Yeah, I think you can, uh, it depends on your translation, but you can find that in the Bible, I think. Pretty much. You know, I'm pretty good at finding almost anything I want to in the Bible. So this works really good. So 
Um, yeah, man. So tell us, I mean, first off, you know, there's always a story behind a book like this. And this book is about a story. So tell us a little bit about how you came about writing this book. Yeah. I mean, I had never written anything on animals before. I've done a lot of theological work, but mainly on kind of the practice of ministry on uh, ministry to younger generations of people, things like that. And can I stop you for a second? Because, uh, you wrote a book called the theological turn in youth ministry that was awarded uh, Book of Merit by Christianity Today. That, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, you've written some good stuff. So it's not like listeners, you're listening to a guy like he graduated Princeton, by the way. It's not like this guy's like, oh, I'll write a book about dogs. Um, no, this guy's, you know, he's got a theological mind here. He's, he's, he's no slouch in theology. So. All right. Go. Well, well, that's that's very kind of you to say. So, yeah, so I hadn't really done anything like this before, but we had this uh, beloved black lab named Kirby. And actually, speaking of Princeton, we got him uh, just about, oh, three months into my uh, doctoral studies at Princeton. We went to get milk one one uh, oh, it was a Monday night, I think, and came back with a puppy. So he was the biggest impulse buy of our life. And so we so we bought the, we had this dog and we just fell in love with him. We had him before we had kids. And then when our kids came into our, our lives, um, the dog and the kids were just so close. And particularly my oldest, Owen, um, the dog, Kirby, slept at his, be- at his bed every night, um, watched over him, cared for my kids so deeply, was in the middle of all their games. And a few years ago now, Kirby started t- to not be doing well in uh, spending some nights where he usually didn't spend nights on the cold bathroom floor and just was really lethargic. So we decided it was time to take him into the vet. And we had a little debate, Cara, uh, my wife and I, that he, I, I thought something was really up here and she thought he would rally and be back in the backyard chasing the tennis ball soon enough. Well, she took him into the vet and the vet said, um, I'm really sorry. Uh, there's clearly a, a huge mass in his stomach. He's in really significant pain and he shouldn't be moved. So she immediately went home and picked me up and picked the kids up and took us back to the vet to say our goodbyes to Kirby. And we got into that vet's office and my kids at the time um, were eight and five. And as soon as we got into the the, um, the examining room and Kirby was laying on that cold linoleum floor, they threw themselves on Kirby's body and just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed with the thought that Kirby would be gone. And then they saw his back leg, which had already been shaved, preparing for the injection that would, would take his life. And within a few minutes of sobbing, the vet came in and asked us if we were ready and then injected um, Kirby's back leg. And you could just see the dog, uh, the life of this dog that we love, leave him. And Owen, somehow, the eight-year-old, had the strength and um, wisdom, really, and he put his face down next to Kirby's face, nose to nose, and said, the last thing Kirby's going to see is me. And then you just saw the life leave this dog's eyes, and we all just sobbed and sobbed now, and to such an extent that the dog's snout was just drenched wet with my children's tears. And in the middle of this, Owen stood up. Okay, and, okay, now, yeah. I'm just saying, this is, this is I should have given a warning, like, this is tear-jerking <laughs> stuff, man. I've it is. Yeller. I know where this is going. Right. And, you know, uh, yeah, dog books are supposed to end sad. And this this dog book begins sad. So Owen got up and, uh, and said, I'll be right back. And out of his own volition, went into the waiting room, filled up a Dixie cup of water, came back in and uh, t- dipped his finger in the Dixie cup of water, made the sign of the cross on the dog's head and lifted his hands to heaven in prayer, giving God back his dog. And so really what the book is about is why that act felt so right. And um, what are these animals uh, and what do they actually do for us? So the book's really a journey from that moment to ask that big question. I mean, people so deeply love their dogs. And in some ways, I mean, I think we could even use the word that our dog 
dogs and at least some of our dogs really minister to us and what's actually going on in this relationship. So it's really the journey of a theologian who in you know, a Protestant theologian who doesn't ask these questions, hmm. watching their family grieve the loss of a dog that we deeply loved, who was a significant part of our family, and asking, where's God in the middle of this? And how do we think about this spiritually? And, and what does it mean to be human that we're so connected to these animals? And is there some kind of spiritual, um, spiritual frequency that connects us with our dogs? So that's really the journey of the book. Yeah, that's, that's sweet too, man, because, I, you know, I... I ask a lot of things about animals and I'm heavily influenced by C.S. Lewis. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting because I, I think I understand, uh, I, I think analytically about a lot of it's, I'm not an intellectual at all. I think analytically about cartoons and video games. So don't get the wrong <laughs> idea here. But, um, but I really, you know, oftentimes have thought, gosh, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm a human and I have a much vaster capacity for all kinds of things than my dog does, apparently. And, and yet I love this thing so much. My best friend called me up last night and was in tears on the phone because he had, he just came from the hospital unexpectedly putting his dog down. And, you know, it was for his first words are, I, I'm going to try to get through this. And I didn't know what was coming, you know, and it, it was about his dog. And we, we were laughing at ourselves at how much these things get in our hearts. And you begin, I think, to understand God through these relationships. And of course, it's infinitely more vast that, you know, it's a weak comparison, but I've often wondered if God gives us animals so that we can mm. understand that we are in his image, yes, there are certainly things I can look at a dog and say, I have, I have this, the dog has this. I have that, the dog. But there are far more things I could say, I have this, the dog does not have this. Um, and there's that holiness aspect of God that he is other, but we're in his image. And yet I understand that I can love something that's not even human and laugh at how stupid it is that this would destroy me when this thing's gone. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, so tell us a little bit about some of your findings in this book. I mean, what would have been some of the, the major, I'm, I'm here I am pontificating. I didn't write the book, um, but you know, this, everybody's an expert on dogs. You've probably figured this out, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that was part of the journey. I mean, really early on that I, I, you know, you, you had to end up at these theology conferences and meet these imminent theologians. And, you know, one of the things you do around wine or coffee is talk about what's your project you're working on. And, you know, someone would say, well, I'm working on the, you know, the historical ramifications of reconciliation, or I'm working on, you know, second Corinthians, uh, view of this or that. And then I would, you know, they'd ask me and be like, well, <clears throat> Well, um, I'm working on the spirituality of dogs, so it was uh, it was kind of a undercover, kind of looking for these discoveries. But one of the really fascinating things that's happened just in the last decade and a half is there's been a ton of science on dogs. I mean, for for decades, no one, even in the sciences, was really studying dogs because they just seem so normal and ordinary. I mean, it'd be like mm, trying to write a you know scientific doctoral dissertation on the toilet or something. I mean, it's just there. Why would you you know? It's not that interesting. But the more they've kind of peeled away some of the 
layers of uh, just overlooking dogs, we've realized these are incredibly unique creatures and they can do things that very few other animals do. And one of the things that they do that no other animal does is they're attuned to our face, that they really pay deep attention to our gestures and to our face and to our levels of communication and not just our words. They do. I mean, more than any other animal, they can understand our words, but they also can understand our body language, um, the kind of inflection of our voice and what that means, that there's just ways they soak up the meaning of our communication. And I think there's something really deeply with deep within Protestant theology that talks about word and significance of word and the significance of encounter and face. Um, all over the scriptures, there's this sense of God revealing God's face and our face one to another and, and um, joy in, in the encounter of the face. And there's just these ways that dogs and really deeply connect to our face. Um, and they've done these really interesting research studies where they've taken meat and put it in a, in a metal box that, uh, that the, the, the dog nor the wolf can get to. And they let wolves in and the wolf can't get to it, but the wolf can find dozens of ingenious ways to try to free it. Well, when they let a dog in, the dog cannot do any of the kind of individual problem solving that a wolf can do, but the dog does the one thing the wolf doesn't do, which the dog goes to the meat, tries to get it out, and after about 15 seconds of not being able to get it out, the dog sits down, looks at the researcher, and looks at the box, and looks at the researcher, and looks at the box, and essentially what the dog is doing is getting inside the mind of the other of the human being, hmm. and getting the human being to interact with them in this really significant way. And so that just, to me, has to have some deep mm -hmm. spiritual overtones that what it means to be human, I think, and even what we say about who God is, is that God is this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there's this deep sense of an interrelationality in God's own self, and then that just reverberates out from us, that we have these deep forms of relationship in our communities, in our families, but there's a way that the dog also echoes that. And one of the reasons that the dogs are so important to us, and we grieve them so deeply when they die, is because we have a significant, I mean, I almost want to say soulful connection to them, because of this this interconnection of relationship that's really unique. Um, I mean, even next to the cat, the cat does not look at our faces or respond to our communication like a dog does. I so think the cat's like yeah. us in this whole thing. Like we're like, hey, I love you, and you know, the cat's like us, and we're like God. We're like, hey, I love you, come here, and the cat's like, no, screw you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going over here. That's I don't, right. No, so maybe you know. I I think we sh your sequel should be the theology of cats. Yeah, people have suggested that. Like, yeah, all cats go to hell or something like that. Dang, just, I, I, you know, that would be a great title. I yeah. thought I was brilliant for a second there. I was like, hey, I just taught a guy that graduated Princeton uh, something, but never mind. Other people beat me to that. Hey, so that, but that's rad, man. Like I love, like I never thought about that. What are, what are some of the ways where this has personally impacted your own spirituality? Like what does this do for your own personal faith? Yeah. I mean, I just, I think one of the things that it does for me is it, it just drives me again and again to remember the importance of our ordinary lives, that there's just something really mystical and beautiful about these ordinary lives that we're living. And I think so often in our, in our spiritual lives and our, our lives of faith that we kind of yearn for something 
um, beyond the ordinary lives we're living and the gift that God gives us with our ordinary lives is pretty significant. And yeah. so, I mean, thing, one of the things this has opened up to me is there's an incredible amount of theological reflection and, and deep thought just about the way we're making sense of our lives. And something right. as ordinary as a dog actually has deep forms of meaning for people. So, I mean, maybe to echo to your audience, it's, you know, thinking of church planting and, um, and thinking about people in, in communities that these really ordinary things they really latch onto and are making meaning with or finding forms of belonging. And uh, at the very least, we have to have to respect those. And uh, there's ways that we kind of live out what it means to be human in and through these kind of very ordinary ways. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think from our, um, from, from my audience, I, you know, they're constantly talking to people that are throwing out questions like this. Like for example, what about aliens? Do dogs sure. go to heaven? Um, I mean, you know, we, you gotta think for a second that, you know, when I was in high school, there's a movie come out called All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um, my worst faux pas ever, I am ashamed to say, was when I was hyper, hyper reformed. And it was like, <laughs> I, I, I remember, no, I won't, I won't embarrass him. I'll just stick to my own embarrassment. Um, I was preaching. And I was speaking at this place and they, uh, they, I didn't know this, the pastor's family hosting me. Uh, they just lost their dog. And at the dinner table, I stuck my foot in my mouth. They said, you know, do, uh, Peyton, do you think dogs go to heaven? And of course, you know, being young and 25 and thinking I had all the answers, I said, well, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily say. And so we can't with any confidence assume that. And, uh, and I just looked at the face of the mom. Her lip was quivering, but her eyes looked really angry. And, mm-hmm. um, and the pastor just out and out said, our dog just died last week, but mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting to hear your opinion. I, on the other hand, and he quick tried to save it. I was so ashamed. And, you know, it, it, it's really interesting because we talk about this even on the, on the phone call with my, uh, best friend yesterday. And we said, Hey, you know, look, God's going to repopulate. The, the new earth. I mean, the, the heaven and earth, new heaven is on earth, you know, kind of like, uh, who is it? Banana Rama. Didn't they say that new, new heaven is a place on earth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. This is how I think I told you. It doesn't get very intelligent. I'm intimidated. I like you. it. Have you I like on it. This? No, so, I like. <laughs> so here's the deal, right? Um, basically, I mean, I, I think if he's got animals to pick from, right, he's not going to be like, Hey, we need some dogs. You know what? I just make some new ones. He's going to be like, no, dang it. Peyton was in love with, uh, I mean, pick any one of them. Cracker, Heathen, Cardiff. I mean, Stinky, any of my dogs, you know, Kreskin, <laughs> Roxy. I mean, I've, I've had a lifetime of dogs, man. And I know he's going to be like, Hey, Hey, you're, mm-hmm. you're redeemed, man. I'm picking, I'm picking redeemed pets, man. We're going to, we're going to put your dogs mm-hmm. back here. Yeah. Well, that was one of the interesting things of, of researching for this book, too, is you, you find these uh, beautiful and, and well-known and, and uh, famous uh, historical figures who have opinions about these things that you didn't know until you started to research it. And and one is this this beautiful story of this uh, this Jewish philosopher named Emmanuel Levinas, who was um, alive and actually in a prisoner of war camp during World War II, a really well-known Jewish philosopher. And he, uh, he writes this little essay on dogs that I had no idea was there. And he's kind of he's he's kind of rabbinical he's kind of a rabbi and he he goes bio he goes kind of biographical though in this little essay and talks about how when he was 
caught in a, in, a, in a Nazi prisoner of war camp, every day he'd be taken out to the, to do work, and and even the people in the village would sneer at them, and the and the guards would sneer at them, and they weren't sure these men who were uh, imprisoned if they were actually human anymore. Mm. They had lost their humanity. He said, except for two weeks, uh, for two weeks they would come back after the long day of work and dehumanization, and a dog would run out from the woods, and the dog would see them, and the dog would jump, and it would wag its tail, and its mouth would be open, and it'd be so happy to see them. And he has this beautiful line. He says, "Where this." dog witnessed and reminded us that indeed we were still human beings, that we were still beautiful creatures made by God. And then he goes total Jewish rabbi on it, and he does a midrash on the Exodus story. And he shows that in the Exodus story, there's this there's a text where Moses says to the people that uh, it will be Yahweh, it will be God who will lead you out of Egypt. And you will know this because not a dog of Egypt will bark, not one dog will bark. Right. And Something only a Jewish you know, rabbi can do, and, and his point is that this is the righteous dogs of Egypt that participate in the exodus of the Israelites, and that uh, these are righteous dogs. That there are some dogs, of course, who are not righteous dogs. They're just dogs who bite people and are used to, to oppress people. Righteous but, dogs, uh, I love it. But there are these righteous dogs of Egypt that that uh, that live in our bedrooms and um, lick our children's tears when they cry after a bad day in kindergarten and are there for us when we're grieving our own loss and who give us these rituals that that make us human and get us outside and get us walking and bring joy into our lives. So there are these dogs that are these righteous dogs of Egypt. And so if we think of these righteous dogs of Egypt, then you wonder, well, will we see them again in in heaven. I mean, our, do all dogs go to heaven? And then I stumbled on this beautiful story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in the 1920s um, was in a pastoral internship in Barcelona, and a 10-year-old boy came to his flat and was crying, and Dietrich asked him what was up, and he said that his three-year-old German shepherd dog had just died. And so, much like your friend here, Bonhoeffer just comforted him and said, I'm sorry about this. But in the midst of that, the boy wiped his tears and looked at Bonhoeffer and said, so tell me now, Herr Bonhoeffer, will I see Mr. Wolf was the dog's name. He said, will I see Mr. Wolf again in heaven? And Bonhoeffer, maybe like you at that kitchen table, was perplexed and didn't know what to say. And my own midrash of it, as I like to say, he didn't take that class in his doctoral studies, you know, the class on dead dogs. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't, t- he didn't take that class in his pastoral education, you know, no, I missed um, that one too. Right. Right. And so he, but he finally had to answer and he said to the boy, you know, well, we know that God is love and we know that God loves you and we know God loves all animals too. And we know you, you love Mr. Wolf. So I don't believe that God loses anything that God loves. So yeah, I think that you'll see Mr. Wolf again. Um, in heaven, and so I, I like to think of, of what we ever, whatever we think heaven is, and whatever we think eternity in God's goodness and God's embrace is, it has something to do with relationship, and that I think that there are these, these deep levels of relationality. I mean, this is why we believe we'll see. Um, our grandparents or our spouse again or whoever um, in heaven because there's this deep level of almost souls connecting to souls in relationality. And I think dogs touch that. I would never say it's as deep as maybe my relationship with my children, but it's still, it plays at that same or it has that same frequency. And um, I, I don't think God loses any deep levels of relationship that continue to reflect God's own being as this relational God that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So 
you know, I, do dogs have a soul is a, is a big question that comes up in the book. And I don't know. It depends on what you mean by a soul, which is a really snooty kind of way a theologian talks about it. But if soul has something to do with a deep level of interconnection and, and relationship, which I think it is, I think it's more that than just a ghost in your, in your chest or something, then I think we can say that dogs are really soulful, that they yeah. engage us in this deep relational way and that that has to have some kind of reflection into eternity, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something really crazy out there. Okay. No, I'm not gonna. Never mind. I don't got the guts to say it. I you know, Ecclesiastes talks about the you know, where he goes and who's to say, but the man, you know, the soul of a man goes upwards. And I agree, like the the Hebrew understanding of the soul is the body and the spirit, you know, it seems to be that it's a unit, right? That um it's a I, I had a buddy did some uh dissertation work on this and he says the soul is not the ghost like you said it's it's the unity it's the bond of the body and the and the spirit and um you know and it it you know we went into the hebrew and how it's always put there and that the second death is when the you know spirit and body are separated and on and on that that's the death of the soul and so the soul is not the spirit anyways all that to say whether he's right or wrong right there does seem to be um that idea that yes dogs it's not like they're just a one, like, where does that, that personality go? And mm-hmm. I've often wondered, kind of like a dog's purpose, is there truth in that? We know that's not true for human beings. It's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Um, but with animals, you just wonder, like, have I met you before? Did you come, you know, are you recycled? I don't know, right? That, that's my crazy. I'm just throwing, I'm not saying I believe in reincarnation, but I mean, that yeah. pretty much is, you're just wondering, like, what does God do with Rex, yeah. right? I know yeah. I know where I go when I die, you know, to be absent right. from the body is present with the Lord. What about them? What, right. What, 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 let's hear you take a stab at that. Yeah, well, I mean, that is a really big question. We're probably both out on on the ledge here but i mean consciousness i <laughs> mean consciousness to be branded heretical right maybe i'm talking about dogs no less um but uh you know there's something crazy about consciousness there just is and that's why yeah. no matter how hardcore reductionist kind of person you might be um no one can solve this issue of consciousness and in the, the yearning for us to have it have some kind of I don't know, continuation after death. And just the crazy thing about dogs is that like, you used the word earlier, personality. I mean, we tend not to use word personality for, for sure, for sure. Don't use like rocks have personalities or, I mean, you have to project a lot of other kind of human reflection on those things to give them personality. You know what I mean? But yeah. a dog is just yep. – Every dog you has, have has personality, which is one of the reasons we're kind of wondering, man, we, we can actually say whether it's incarnation or not, uh, reincarnation, I'm not sure I'd go there, but whether it is or not, um, there is a way that that personality of that dog reminds you of the personality of another dog, which just shows you the kind of personal structure that exists within a dog that has something profoundly sacred to it that can't be just wiped away. Um, so yeah, what I don't, you know, I wouldn't say that dog, a dog's purpose is a documentary or a, 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 a spiritual text. <laughs> it's but my it new does... theological textbook. No, right, it, right. It raises questions. You go, well, yeah. I mean, is there anything preventing you know that yeah. understanding? There is no biblical prevent. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I'm going to preach it this Sunday. I'm just saying you you have. Hey, I'm a critical thinker. You got to ask these questions. 
Yeah, and it well, it, and what it does point to is that dogs encounter us at, in this kind of in, through a personality, at, almost yeah, in this a very personal way. And so, um, I mean, it's rare. Sometimes people will say, "Yeah, that fish has a personality," or "That chicken." I mean, they're, they he had a real personality, but that's the rare occasion. Uh, I've never dogs been a with a personality. Either have I, but I was trying to be open, I, I, I open to those chicken going. lovers. That yeah. beluga whale has a personality. I, I saw yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, but every I'm, I mean, it's, dogs just are filled with personality, which is right. one, one of the reasons we love them so much, and they make us laugh and and, and give us joy. So, um, yeah, so there's something that that kind of connects us and makes us look at the next dog and wonder, huh, where did you come from? And uh, your personality reminds me of that dog's personality, and I remember the gifts that dog gave me, and um, and there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. Well, you make me laugh and give me a little bit of joy. Does that make it weird now? Is that is that strange? <laughs> did I did I wreck that? No, that's nice. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So okay. So here's the deal. We're out of time. Tell tell me now. Um, the grace of dogs. Uh, where Dr. Andrew Root? Where do we find this book? Well, probably the easiest way is like everything in our world now is just find it on Amazon. Um, it's 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 there, but it should be at most booksellers for uh, for a while. It was even at Walmart, so um, in cost in Costco. I heard it was at Costco. Your so book when made it to Walmart. Yeah, so when you're going to buy when you and Costco, so when you're going to buy like uh, two tons of butter, you could also pick up this book. Man, um, I knew I should have written a book about dogs. I just knew it. I wrote my last book. It wasn't about I. Okay. Uh, competition's <laughs> coming behind you, pal. That's all I'm saying. I, I look forward to it. That'll be fun. <laughs> You're like, bring it on. May the hey, may the may the top dog win. Right? <laughs> no, that's rad, man. Hey, congrats on that. Getting your book into Walmart. That is saying something right there. The book is the Grace of Dogs. All, all. I mean, Andrew's been a fun guest. All, all joking aside, um, pick this book up. It's going to make you think. It's very well researched, very well written. Uh, Andrew Root been our guest today. Um, this is a book I would suggest you could give, and this is one of the reasons, I, I gave you the real reason, but one of the reasons that we have him on the show today is that this would be a book that you could bring up in conversation easily with anyone who's a human being, uh, which usually means they're a pet owner, not all of them, but you know, you could bring this up and uh, people who don't ever want kids always have pets. I don't know if you've noticed that. They always own dogs. Mm -hmm, that's and right. This is one of the things that you can, uh, just in conversation, this is this might be, you know, the thin end of the wedge for the gospel, just to get people thinking about God through their dog, of all things. And, hey, I'm a, I'm a by any means necessary kind of guy, right? If if the master has need of, of my donkey, I'll ride it. All the way into Jerusalem, man. That's that's somebody all the way into their heart. Doesn't matter. But this is this is a very cool book, man. So thanks for coming on to the show. Is there anywhere else that you would want to send them in addition to picking up the book? Any website, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, my website's just uh, andrewroot.org. They can check that out. And uh, I have an, actually a, a new book that's a little bit more uh, a theory book coming out that they may be interested called Faith Formation in a Secular Age. And uh, that comes out in about two weeks. So uh, especially oh, church planner cool. people may want to may want to check that out. So um, no dead dogs in it, but uh, um, yeah, it might be worth a read. But you drop the author thing and they're like, in my previous book, The Grace of Dog, I said <laughs> Right. That's that's, that's right. Because yeah, because it, yeah. it you know not surprisingly that your next book, <laughs> Faith Formation in a Secular Age, you really have written a book that that fits that very much so. 
you know, yeah. how people come to faith and just relating to what they already know to talk That's about right. something they don't. So That's exactly right. Yep. So eh, we're on the same wavelength. So Dr. Andrew Root has been our guest. Thanks for coming on again. This has been Hardcore Church Planting. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by The Church Planner Podcast and The Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.